Hi, I'm Brian Levy. I am a partner at Manchester Living and the host of Manchester Living Podcast. This podcast is really to help people navigate the complex maze of elder care, and I hope it is helpful to you. Today's new and noteworthy, I want to feature my friend Jo Alch. Her charity, Pajamas for Seniors, is a 501c3 nonprofit organization with a mission to provide a pair of pajamas to low-income seniors in area-assisted living homes. 1.3 million elderly Americans live in nursing homes. 70% of these have little to no income or savings, and more than half of Americans living in nursing homes have no close relatives and rarely, if ever, have visitors. Joe's goal is to raise $500,000 and collect 3,500 pair of new pajamas. Donations can be made at pajamasforseniors.org. Joe, I'm real proud of you. Let's jump in. Today's topic is concierge medicine. Concierge medicine, also known as retainer medicine, is a relationship between a patient and a primary care physician where the patient pays an annual fee or retainer. I'm excited to welcome my guest today, Dr. Roger Catan of Baylor Scott & White Signature Medicine and Dr. Kyle Molin of North Texas Preferred Partners. Thank you both for being here today. Thanks for having us. Um, help us better understand why some patients now are choosing concierge medicine over traditional uh, practices. Kyle? Yeah, I, I think what you're seeing is as medicine has changed over the course of the last 10 to 20 years, uh, there's been a change in the way that insurance is administered. There's a change in uh, a shift from what used to be private insurance to managed care. You're finding that patients are having more and more frustration in terms of being able to get to their doctor in a timely manner, uh, being able to, to see their doctor uh, when they want to see them, uh, be able to communicate with their physician when they want to communicate with them, and then also uh, having difficulty just navigating through the process of healthcare. Great. Dr. Catan, you've been doing this for quite some time. What do your patients love most about being part of your concierge practice? I think the biggest thing for us is that, like, as Kyle was talking about, or Dr. Mullen, one of the things is, like, we want to be like Marcus Welby. We enjoy being doctors, and being doctors is taking care of patients from home to hospital to even to death. And so the worst thing that came in with the new changes in healthcare is that if you wanted to be a doctor like that, you couldn't survive. You had a panel of like 2,500 patients. You had a nurse practitioner or a PA. You were trying to go to the hospital. You couldn't do it all. There was no way you could do it. And it's like trying to be good at one thing. You can't be good at multiple things. You have to focus on one thing. And like with concierge medicine, it allows you to go visit them in the hospital you can take care of them in the skilled nursing facility. You can take care of them at home. And some of my most valued patients are the ones that I got to go to their home, do house calls on. And especially during COVID, a lot of our patients are scared to come out to the office. And so we would go to their home, give them their vaccinations. We can't give COVID vaccinations, obviously, but like their flu vaccines or draw their blood and stuff. And this is where it felt like you had a connection with your patients. And it's valued and you feel like you're a friend of theirs or your family member. That's great. Is there a typical textbook concierge type patient? Uh, no, actually no. We have some who uh, are on the very lower income and they'll save their money to pay for our retainer fee because they want to see us. And then you have the very extravagantly rich who have their own private airplanes, but it varies from all lower incomes to the highest incomes. Of sure. patients. I know this is a real taboo word in your in your world, but yeah. I know um, when people hear concierge medicine, they think access, access, access. <laughs> Dr. Mullen, you want to address that? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and uh, 
we always want to be a little careful because we don't want to talk negatively about other practices in the sense that I think every internal medicine doctor I know, every family practice doctor I know, they have a heart for caring for patients, mm -hmm. but the model in which they give that care is different. And so the idea is, is if I have a practice like a typical concierge practice that has one fifth of patients, it's going to give you a good idea of what's going to happen if you need to come see me that day. I'm not going to be packed with 30 patients in my schedule for the day. I'm not going to be booked out for two weeks ahead of time to where you can't come see me the same day. Now, uh, you know, each patient has a different desire. Some patients don't want a 30 minute visit or an hour long visit with me. Some patients want 15 minutes. Um, and some of those people will be perfectly happy in a normal practice, but we want to be able to offer our patients the opportunity to have those extended visits with us if they want. Some people think of concierge medicine or traditional medicine. They make an appointment, they get, uh, you know, they get to see the doctor a couple of days, maybe a week later, right. and then they sit in the waiting room for two hours and then they right. get, so why don't you compare and contrast that scenario with? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's different in our, in my practice and I'll let you speak to that same experience, yeah. but, uh, the fact that when they walk in, uh, they're known to, to my front desk staff, they know them by name. Uh, they come in, they're, move to a room within three to five minutes. And so even though we try to provide them a very comfortable lobby to sit in, they don't really get to utilize as, as much as we'd like them to because they're coming back to see me almost immediately. And then the process is much more, I think, slow paced. We can have a conversation. I don't just want to start jumping in and saying, hey, what's wrong with you today? Instead, I can actually ask them about their kids or their family and then move into what they're concerned about. And then at the end of the visit, if they suddenly come up with one more thing they'd like to see, I'm not frustrated or irritated because I'm late for my next visit. Right. I have time to actually address that next problem as well. Sure. Great. Dr. Gatton, how many patients do you see in a given day? In so your concert it practice? can vary, but mostly it's about, for me, 10 to 12. We try to limit our panel sizes like we were talking about how many, usually you had like 2,500 as a patient panel. And a lot of doctors, I, like Kyle was just saying, internal medicine and family practice doctors have a heart for their patients. And a lot of them don't go concierge because they're afraid of what's going to happen to the rest of their patients. And that was a concern for any doctor who's gone concierge, including myself and Kyle, what happens to the patients who can't follow you? Okay. And so that's where the system is works for some of them. I mean, there are other doctors out there and there are nurse practitioners and a lot of large clinics will give you same day appointments, but it's not with your doctor. It may be with a nurse practitioner, maybe with a PA, maybe with another doctor. The joy of concierge medicine is that if you're coming to see me, like, or you're seeing Kyle or you're seeing a concierge doctor, your doctor knows everything about you. So even mm -hmm. if it's a 30 minute or an hour long or a 10 minute visit, we know everything about you. And so it doesn't take us that long. A lot of my time, like Kyle was saying, is talking to them about their families and about other issues because I already know all their meds and what we're going to do. But there are times like with the snow apocalypse, with COVID or with just us getting ourselves sick, like both Kyle and I had COVID uh, over this, or I had COVID and I missed 17 out of 30 days. That includes Saturday and Sundays in January, but most of my patients didn't know it unless they had appointments with me. Then they had to get rescheduled and like Kyle was saying, you want to see your doctor. And so some of my patients are right now waiting like a week or so out, but if it's an emergency, we just bring them in and it's taken care of. Right. They want to see you. They want to know that you remember that in five years ago, they had a CT scan and it showed this, and that's why we're doing it again. Whereas a lot of people won't remember that if they see another doctor. 
credit to all the internists, family practice, and primary care doctors out there who have to go see someone real quick and mm -hmm. see it and take care of an emergent issue. But the thing is, with concierge medicine, it's building a relationship. It's seeing them long term. Just like I would say, I don't want to compare ourselves to like a car dealership or anything or like comparing ourselves to an airline or something. But you build loyalty. Okay. And it's having the loyalty to Dr. Mullen, you're my doctor, and I want to see you because you take care of me. And you've known my father, exactly. you've known my mother, right. you take care of me, and you've seen me when I was at my sickest, and that's why I appreciate yeah. you. Absolutely. So that's yeah. what's the important part. Yeah, it's it, it really has changed the dynamic of, I think, the way that I provide care, the way that I'm able to interact with patients. And it's funny now because when I go on vacation, um, I've actually talked to two of my patients on the chairlift. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And me. Yeah. And, um, and, and, uh, same thing when I was hospitalized, yeah. uh, with, with my, my COVID infection, um, I was literally taking calls from patients and taking care of them from the room. And I was perfectly happy to do that. But yes. it was actually kind of a point of, of, uh, 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 comedy for my nurses that I'm laying in my bed with oxygen, talking to my patients right. and taking care of yeah. them. So now, is telemed a, a part of your practice? Is absolutely. That a absolutely. But what is fascinating is that, you know, we, we definitely use telemedicine for a variety of different purposes. And especially with the COVID situation, we, we did. Um, however, what's interesting is, is that most of my patients really want to do an office visit again. Um, they're actually fighting mm -hmm. to get back into the office because that's a much more personal way of interacting with them. Sure. Um, and so it's fascinating because we have really dropped a lot of our telemedicine visits just at patient requests, not so much from our requests. Interesting. Yeah. So what kind of specialists... Um, uh, are in your practice. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm sure you don't do gynecological visits, removing moles, dermatological type procedures. How does that? Well, it, it's funny you ask that because I think as an internal medicine physician, you're trained on a very broad platform. You're right. actually trained to do a whole variety of things. Uh, the course of, of normal medicine and, and, and being in a, in a standard practice kind of squeezes that back out of you. Pretty soon you don't start doing joint injection or you don't do joint injections because you just don't have the time to do the setup and do the joint injection. And so some of the skills that you learned get kind of squeezed out of your practice. Now with this, having more time, you're able to start doing a lot of those things that you then used to farm out. And so I find that I'm actually spending more time doing a lot of more what I was trained for, uh, which is a very broad practice instead of a narrow scope of practice. Interesting. And I know you, like in your, in your office, you have an x-ray. Absolutely. We have an x-ray machine. Yeah. And we're working at trying to continue to expand those levels of services. So we have laboratory, we have x-ray. Uh, you know, eventually I think what we'd like to do is also have MRI and CT. And as we're able to grow that practice, I think we'll see more and more of that. And there's, you know, there's volume requirements that, that come with that, but we want our practice to be as full functioning as possible. Yeah. A one-stop shop. Exactly. That's great. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about some of the drawbacks. I know there's there's some uh, talk about concierge medicine being a paper paper play, and it's unfair sure. to the rest of the to society. <laughs> society. Right. How do you address that? Um, yeah, I, I think I hear what they're saying. Um, I think that in general, if you look at most concierge practices, you'll find that they're actually reasonably affordable um, compared to to a lot of the other things that we consume on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. um, I tell people that, you know, if you break out down our services into a monthly basis, it's really the cost of an expensive dinner uh, here in Dallas. So it's when it's you do not, the math, yeah. yeah, when you do the math, it's not yeah. bad. 
Um, and I think there's always going to be a traditional healthcare practice that you can participate in if you want to. But if you don't want long lines, if you don't want some of these other things, it's tough because I, I always tell people that our practice is kind of like an old I Love Lucy show where uh, she was uh, given a job to go put chocolates into sure. uh, oh, the famous episode. They start out slow and everything's moving just fine. And then they just, they turn it up a little bit. So she starts to get a little stressed, but she's putting it all in. And by the time they finish, as they keep speeding it up and keep speeding it up, she's shoving them in her mouth. She's shoving them in her blouse. She's shoving them everywhere um, because she can't do the work that she wants to do in a timely manner because the speed is going too fast. And I think that that's really kind of the same way of what we see in in a lot of these primary care practices is that we have amazing physicians put into a system that actually I think can diminish your capacity to be the best physician that you want to be. That's great. Okay. So there's an annual fee. In mm -hmm. addition to that, what other fees could a patient possibly incur? Well, so most of us take insurance, but there's different concierge models. There are some that don't take any insurance and you pay one big fee a year. Like some are like $25,000 a year. And then they just take it from that fee. They cover the cost of the x-rays, the labs and all. But most people in most concierge practices take insurance. So most of the fees will come out of your co-pays for like your x-rays, your MRIs, your labs, going to see a specialist. So the fees that are normal for any other practice apply to going to a concierge practice. You're paying the fee to have someone there to always talk to you, to be available and know you personally. So walk me through the process if someone's interested in concierge medicine. What is the process to come into our offices or office? like? So for us, usually we try to do a meet and greet because not everyone wants concierge medicine and not everyone's a perfect fit for the doctor. I mean, there's patients who may not like me or that have to reschedule and I'm okay with that. And most of us who are in concierge medicine in North Texas, at least, know each other. Mm -hmm. So like if someone doesn't like me or I don't think I'm going to be a particular fit, I can call another practice and say, hey, I have a patient here who really needs to be seen and really wants to have good care and is interested in paying for concierge, but I'm not exactly the right fit. And he may need more of a different kind of fit. There's like several practices in Plano. They're called Centers for Executive Medicine. There's MD Squared. There's MD VIP. There's Methodist. It has a not-for-profit concierge service now. And then we at Baylor have one. And then we have the preferred health partners. We all want to do the right thing for our patients, but it's like connecting with it. Yeah, it's more, it is truly like a relationship. It's like having a date. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure you have a connection right. before you get forward because you don't want to disappoint their expectations you later on. Try the shoes on before you buy. Right, right, right. Honestly, yes. Yeah. I would prefer that. And like he was just saying about the slowness and stuff, the buck stops with me and with mm -hmm. Kyle. When people don't get their referrals, when people don't get their medicines, I can't blame it. Oh, the nurse practitioner saw you or, hey, it went through to another nurse and she forgot to send it to me. No, it's either my nurse and me who didn't send it in. And then I have to apologize and say, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't do it correctly. We didn't get it in. We're going to have to send it in now and we take care of it. But it's being honest and being responsible for your patient's healthcare needs. I think that's a great point. I, you know, um, I think my biggest frustration in a traditional practice was what I would call a service failure. Um, the idea that I had, I had met with my patient, I told them what I thought needed to be done, uh, had put orders in, and then something fell apart. 
Um, either it went into cyberspace cloud. It, it, yeah, right? it went into a cloud, it disappeared, the pharmacy didn't receive uh, the prescription, whatever that is. Um, and, and this dynamic, again, has been changed because now my patient has my immediate phone number, not my front desk number. They have that one also. They have my nurse's yeah, phone Yeah, they number, have all the numbers. But they have my number. And so 7 o'clock at night when they pop into their pharmacy and go, oh, that prescription that Dr. Mullen sent in today isn't here. They call me immediately at the pharmacy and yeah. I call the pharmacy and we get that taken care of immediately. And so that service failure doesn't get prolonged into a two or three day setup where they have to go back through the front, talk to the girls up front, have a message delivered to my nurse who then has to yeah. deliver a message to me. It, it's so much more efficient. Back to the taboo <laughs> word, access. Yeah, right. access. Exactly. access. Exactly. Great. All right, guys, I want to cut to today's nugget. Today, I'm featuring a therapeutic method we use at Manchester Care Homes. Uh, we use dementia cats, dementia dogs, and dolls. Um, they come in all genders and nationalities. A helpful, therapeutic, non-pharmaceutical way to calm and soothe agitated seniors with Alzheimer's or dementia. We often give a doll or a dog to an agitated resident, and it's very soothing and very calming, and it's also great distraction. You'll see um, through some of the footage that we've taken at Manchester Care Homes, it just makes them feel very comfortable. Uh, it decreases anxiety, agitation, wandering, and obsessions. It increases appetite, happiness, social interactions, and in the ability to receive care. Now, it is not without controversy. I will tell you, some families come in and see their loved ones playing with a doll or petting a, a, a stuffed animal and they get upset. They think that it takes away from the dignity and we don't feel that way, but we're respectful of the residents that do. We have other therapies such as fidget blankets and real pets. I will tell you that I bring my dogs to the care homes quite often for our residents to enjoy, but this is a wonderful, wonderful way to distract and um, get residents or, or people with dementia to just calm down. All right, guys, this is my favorite part of the show. This is the opportunity for my viewers to get to know you guys personally. <laughs> so we're doing the lightning round. Are you ready? We're ready. We're ready. Dr. Catan, who's your doppelganger? Uh, Jeff Goldblum, most likely. Spot on. Dr. Uh, Mullen. Brad Pitt. Oh, right Don't on. Did you see it? Yeah, I, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you lived in Dallas? 25 years. How long have you lived in Dallas? 21 years. Beach or mountains? Mountains. Beach or mountains? Actually, both. I can't decide. I would do both. I would go to both, but I spend half the time in uh, Florida, half the time in Colorado. So nice yeah. dream car, uh, Range Rover, uh, probably a new modified military Hummer. Wow. Yeah. Where did you go to medical school? University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. And your residency? Residency Bay State Medical Center, in Massachusetts. Dr. Patel. I went to UT in Houston McGovern Medical School. I did a one year in anesthesia in um, Pittsburgh, and then I did internal medicine at University Texas in Houston. Nice. What was your cadaver's name? I don't think my cadaver had a name. Molly. Molly. Beautiful. Nice. Celebrity crush? I have to think about that one. Jennifer Aniston. Mac or PC? PC. Talk or text? Both. Do you have a second language? No. Ishbrecher kind bisle Deutsch. We'll go with that. Okay. Favorite meal of the day? Breakfast. Uh dinner. Last but question. Dessert first. Dessert first. Last question. Is your handwriting legible? No. 
It's getting worse. I don't know about you, doctors. <laughs> yeah. Thank you both for being here today. I really appreciate it. I hope it was helpful um, as, as viewers consider concierge medicine. What is the best way for viewers to reach you, Dr. Mullen? Uh, we have a website, uh, www.ntphp.com. Uh, usually 469-800-9900 for signature medicine at Bumsey. Great. Thank you both for being here today. No, it's a great excellent. time. I hope it was informative for the viewers as well. You can find this podcast and all the others on ManchesterLiving.com, ManchesterLivingPodcast.com, and of course, I have a face for radio, so you can dial it up on iTunes. <laughs> uh, in closing, if, uh, if there's anything I can do for you, please reach out to me directly. Don't go back to Google. I'm here to help. Thanks for watching today.